Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa Camuso-Miller, your host, and a 25-year public affairs professional in Washington, D.C. The concept behind the podcast is to interview the media, get to know them, find out about their background, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter Podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. PR Daily is a resource for trends, insider tips, and lots of other topics inside the communication space. Join me there at prdaily.com to learn more and to find the Friday Reporter Podcast. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today, I'm joined by George Moriarty from Axios Pro. He's their senior editor, and I'm just thrilled to have you with me. George, thanks so much for being here. Lisa, it's great to be here. I really appreciate it. So, George, I know uh, you've got a great background. You've had a lot of different experience in a lot of different publications. Talk to me a little bit about uh, about your uh, career, how you got started, and how you ended up at Axios Pro. Sure. So, you know, growing up, um, you know, I always was one of those kids who was diving into the newspaper, loved journalism. So naturally, I went to school and majored in political science. (laughs) Um, And as a political science graduate in 1993, there weren't a lot of jobs to be found. And I had spent most of my college uh, career working as uh, working at the school paper. I was Uh executive editor of the Fordham Ram. So I was still active in journalism, just not pursuing it academically. Right. And strangely enough, there weren't a lot of people who wanted to hire a political science major who had, um, you know, some school experience into the job market that was 1993. Right. So, I graduated in 95. So I from, I'm like wildly familiar with that time. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. I had somebody from Channel 11 at my graduation come up to me and say, can I talk to somebody who doesn't have a job? It's like, I'd really rather not. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so I did take a job because I wanted to stay in New York. Uh-huh. Um, I took a job as a broker, which I had never had any interest in finance. Yeah. Um, but I became a fixed income broker because it could pay the rent. Yeah. And I did that for four and a half years. And the best thing it did for me was give me the background with my series seven and the experience that I was able to be hired as a financial journalist, which is something I never anticipated. Right. 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 I was, but the hiring editor couldn't believe there was somebody who could write a sentence and understood the correlation of bond yields and bond prices. And so, and translate it to people like me. (laughs) Translate it. (laughs) I get it. So, it was a uh, good fortune that got me into financial journalism. I was hired at a publication called Private Equity Week mm-hmm. in 97. And I've been in financial journalism ever since. And I've been in subscription journalism ever since. Interesting. And, from, and, and, and that's actually part of my Axios story. Yeah. Is while there, I hired Dan Primack of Prorata in 1999. Ah. And he and I remained super close friends, you know, stayed in touch through our careers. Um, and last fall, he called me and said, hey, uh, are you looking for a job? And I said, no, not really, but I'll listen. What are you, what's up? Always, yeah. And he told me about this job at Axios. And I had been able to, I had been following Axios since Dan had agreed to go to work there. So sure. I was fascinated by it and really excited. Yeah. 
How so um, that's the quick overview. Yeah, I mean, and and so, but you were at a place called Seeking Alpha. I worked for some time in the energy space, and I know that that's a must read for a lot of folks uh, in a lot of industries. Were you in the editorial space at that time? Had you been just a traditional like were you were you writing? What were you doing right before you came to Axios? You must have a background in edit, in the editorial space now. Yes, absolutely. So once I started with that job, I stayed in edit. I've been an editorial ever since. Mm. I worked at thestreak.com from 2001 to 2008. Mm-hmm. I was um, managing editor of the Real Money um, subscription product there and oversaw the newsletters. Um, so, you know, working with folks like Jim Kramer and Herb Greenberg right. and Adam Feuerstein, really working with phenomenal reporters um, who taught me so much that I didn't even know I needed to know when I started. Sure, sure, I bet. And then I took a short hiatus from journalism and I went to work at Merrill Lynch. And what I did there, we were building a new website for Merrill Lynch's wealth management clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the old website was basically a scorecard. The clients could go in and check and make sure that, yes, indeed, they were still rich, which is (laughs) all well and good. But, you know, it doesn't exactly build engagement. Right. Um, So we took that and built uh, a very content rich website around it. And it was really a fascinating product project because I got to work closely with the technical team to see how you could build a product that can obviously protect important data mm-hmm. while also providing the flexibility everybody is accustomed to sure. in content. Right. And from there, that's when I, after uh, Merrill Lynch, I went to Seeking Alpha. And I went to Seeking Alpha as managing editor for their contributed content. Oh, um, as you, As you know, as a reader of Seeking Alpha, there's the news team, which does the quick hits of things that are happening, those one-liners that are essential to, to stay on top of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I've never stopped reading that section. Yeah. The, the analysis is Seeking Alpha was sort of a democratization of content concept um, where they brought in people to share their investment ideas, people like you and me, who huh. might have a particular expertise. And they had been working at that for, at that point, they were about five years old. And some of the content had started just becoming clickbait and they weren't really trying to, people weren't giving insights. It was because the contributors could earn a penny per click. You know, you mentioned energy, you know, it would be these five energy stocks are all, you know, the five energy stocks you have to own. And it just so happened that they were always the five biggest energy stocks, Exxon, Chevron. Interesting. It's like, you know, so the classic clickbait play. Mm -hmm. And my job there and one that I did from, so I joined there in 2012 and worked there till 2018, uh, 2019, sorry. And we worked on just improving the quality of that content and launching subscription products there as well. Interesting. So did you have oversight over what kind of content was, was submitted to the website? So we never assigned at Seeking Alpha. The one thing that they, remain very true to is we don't tell people who are sharing their ideas what they have to write about you know you don't have to go write about um a chevron deal Mm -hmm. but because we want you to be knowledgeable and wise about it and and that's why they have such a broad contributor base got it encourage people to come in because somebody can write once a year i mean one of my favorite stories when i was there was a, a commenter 
who went by the name Walnut Man, who was an expert in, you guessed it, walnuts. Um, <laughs> no kidding. And, <laughs> no kidding. And in the nut um, industry. And around the time there was a big story around Diamond Foods and, and this individual um, who had to remain anonymous for his profession. At least oh, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Was able to share and, and provide insights on what was going on with Diamond Foods. Mm. Wow, that's cool. That, and people yeah. probably really find that useful because they know it's probably a resource that is really close to what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I have and, to believe that. And there that. were a million people like that in every industry. That's you know, cool. There was a, a timber guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. a uh, corn guy. We, we had a meteorologist who would write about the impact that weather, that national weather trends were going to have on um, plantings and, and crops. And, and he would come in and write just about once a month. Interesting. Well, that explains a lot about the guys that were telling me about what they were reading on on that site. So now you're at Axios, and it's yes. a it's a tremendous publication, and, and I'm proud to have five of your four of your colleagues. You were the fifth uh, to talk about your background. It seems like uh, many of of the folks that I'm going to talk to this month are like you have like a really robust background that isn't just journalism, which I think really makes for a really richer experience uh, on the site. I want to ask you specifically about, because you are the senior editor for Axios Pro, which is the subscription side of the publication. Um, I read a piece that you wrote maybe a little bit, a, a little while ago now, but, but it continues to sort of bubble up and be relevant that talks a little bit about the headline, like the writing of a headline. Will you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I know that my PR friends are like really, that's like the secret sauce that people really kind of want to know more about. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I wrote that quite some time ago at Seeking Alpha. I want to say over five years ago because when you don't have professional writers, but it doesn't matter professional, the world's changed and we have the width of the phone screen to get somebody's attention. Right. And you get, you, you get attention in two ways. I, I think you can be bombastic or you can be succinct and to borrow the um, Axios phrase, employ smart brevity. Mm-hmm. Um, headline, too many people try to tell the whole story in the headline and that never works. Or they try to be overly cute and put, put in a two-word headline, but unless you're actually in their brain, you don't know what it is, so you scroll on by. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's why in that article, I did call it titles, keep them brief and accurate, because you're not going to get somebody, if somebody's tired from reading your headline, they're going to be dreadfully fearful of how long the article's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to focus on... And no matter what you're doing, focus on what the story is about in the title. Um, you know, and you can do that in fun ways and you can do that in just simply concise ways, but just make sure and focus on the core of the article. Don't, don't get overly cute. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, in today's day and age, keep it short. You just, it shouldn't be more than five words. If you can't tell, if you can't um, give a title to your story in five words, Try to rethink what the story really is, is my opinion. Interesting. Um, and and just don't do clickbait. It's, you know, I mean, I know we all fell for, what was it, Upworthy mm-hmm. all those years ago. You know, <laughs> yeah. you won't believe, 
nobody clicks a you won't believe what happens next header anymore. <laughs> no, no, because they know they're going to be bombarded with ads or some other garbage. <laughs> but exactly. it, did, it did work for a while. <laughs> it did definitely work. So when yeah. you're so when you're at Axios, so which is by the way, thank you because I'm going to go back now and look at all the headlines of the podcast that I've done over the last uh, fifty or more episodes and and really be hard on myself. But going forward, George, I feel like I've learned something today. So thank you for that. Um, I'll be watching. Oh now, <laughs> so, uh, oh now I'm now I'm feeling the pressure. But I'm curious because Pro is Axios Pro has a lot of different um, has a lot of different. Uh, policy areas that that it really oversees and looks at. But I know that as an organization, Axios is very thoughtful about really identifying what those key um, verticals are. Could you share me with me a little bit about how the um, how pro is structured and what that looks like? Absolutely. So I mentioned Dan Premack earlier. So mm-hmm. Dan's pro rata newsletter has been around for as long as Axios has been around. And he dives into the deal making community. You know, that that that's the the broad description. Mm-hmm. And that includes the venture capitalists, private equity firms, but also, you know, the advisors, the bankers on the deals, the recruiters, as mm-hmm. well as, you know, then the officers and competitors at the different firms who need to know what they're doing. So the deal making community is quite large. Um, but Dan covers everything and he does it remarkably well. Um, and, and frankly, he always has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've made some good hires, but he's toward the top of the list. <laughs> well, I have been, I've been a subscriber of, of Dan's product uh, since the start. I mean, obviously, I've been a, a longtime um, Axios subscriber, but I'm familiar with his product. It's, it's really good, and I, I try to check it out most days just to get a little bit more information in about you know, sort of what's going on in his part of the world. Yeah. And, and taking that core strength and, and winnowing it down is really what Pro was about because, you know, Mike Allen and Jim Vandehei say all the time, you know, we want to say, we want to help smart professionals get smarter faster. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, ProRata is an amazing service that that achieves that. But then, you know, they had the idea, and this is before I joined, but they did the research of the readership and said, you know, would you want um, a, a, a paid product that focuses on just your area? Mm. So what we've done is take it, the answer was yes. Yeah, I bet. Hence my, hence my employment. Mm-hmm. And they uh, selected five verticals. Retail, media, meaning TMT, te- telecom, media, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, climate tech, financial technology, and health technology. Those were the five areas that were most commonly sought by the readers. Okay. And, you know, so what we have done is, is, and what we are delivering, we just launched the first three newsletters on January 19th. All five have been now in market since March 21st. Um, We've hired two reporters for each of those verticals. And we've tried to hire reporters who have a breadth and depth of sources Mm -hmm. um, where we're covering the full deal-making community. Because part of that is, it's not just the private equity VC world. We also go into you know, public offerings, take privates, you know, public deals, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. We're, we're covering the entire deal-making world. And so we wanted to make sure we didn't have two great VC reporters comp- killing each other over the same story and leaving, you know, something later stage or public, you know, have, uh, as a gap. So we're really 
working to deliver uh, breadth. And I think we've achieved in the staff we have uh, that that balance and expertise. Yeah. And we have people from across the spectrum. Um, I'm really pleased with the journalism that's come out of um, Axios Pro already. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 great um, to even think about that. And, and in the conversations that I've begun to have, even over the course of this month, uh, it really shows. It shows in who who's coming to to be on the team, who's doing the writing. Um, I'm, I'm curious about uh, you as the editor. How much of the newsletter, how much of the long form, I mean, and you're all smart brevity. I mean, and I'm super, I'm just, I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I love how you're figuring out how to not only do it inside the the newsroom, but also to share it outside of the newsroom with others. I think that that is just, it, it's brilliant and it's so admirable and I'm, I'm thrilled to watch you guys sort of skyrocket and grow. Um, but how much in your space as the senior editor, how much do you see? How much is coming through you? Do you have editors that work on your team? Like, tell me a little bit about that too. So as we've gotten started, it's myself and one of our editor, Mike Flaherty. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike is a longtime Reuters journalist, spent a few years at a communications firm and came back to the journalism side for this position. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very versed in the deal universe. So really what we have done, and we are looking to hire one more editor for that to uh, be a peer of Mike's. Mm-hmm. So it would be myself and the, and the two editors and the reporters. Got it. Um, and then we want those, that, that role is really interesting because we call it a player coach because we want somebody who's expert in the areas that they're serving who can, you know, if somebody catches a cold, can step in and report a story yeah. and, and have the sourcing to fill out and be able to, to deliver. That's um, smart. Yeah, uh, our publisher, Nick Johnston, um, famously says there are a lot of days on, in, for a daily newsletter. <laughs> and, and, that is, and that is very true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having people who can step in when life happens. Um, like everything here at Axios, the pro team is very collaborative. Every, even when we get the next editor in, you know, it's not... I, I'm not going to retire to the ivory tower and think great thoughts. I'm going to continue to be working and editing. I had seen um, that. I advising. had seen that that was something that you had sort of made a priority, even when you were coming in that just sort of making sure that, that there was collaboration and there was that folks were working together. And cause I think that that has as a vision for your organization makes a ton of sense, especially now where it seems like each and every one of them can be a resource to one another as well. Exactly. And we're collaborating across the newsroom. Yeah. You know, we have, um, we're, we're in constant contact with Sarah Fisher on the media side. Um, our fintech team works very closely with the great technology team and all the stories that, that they're generating. We collaborate on stuff that goes free. We, they give us tips. Um, our, the Generate team, Andrew Freeman and Ben Geeman, give us a bunch of tips and direction uh, as we get the climate up to speed. Mm. The, the biggest mistake I've seen made in, in subscription services is blocking uh, the two groups of journalists from talking to each other. And oh, interesting. One of the things that got me really excited about Axios is they said, you know, we intend to be collaborative and intend to leverage, you know, we're hiring great journalists to put, to do great journalism for these. And so they're working and partnering a, a lot across the team. And, you know, it's something that after three months we're doing pretty well, but I want to make sure that that's continuing to be the case in a year, three years, five years. For sure. 
Oh, and, and just, just knowing the, the talent that's already coming in the door for you guys is, is just remarkable. And it's going to be continue. It's going to continue to be a great resource. The newsletter subscription space too, you said that you've spent quite a bit of time in the news subscription world. This to me feels like because you're bringing in people who really are insiders, um, is going to be a real value. Uh, and one that I think people are really going to seek out because the information behind that paywall is really information that folks are going to need to know and understand and want in order to have the competitive edge in their in their space. Yeah, but that, that's exactly right, and that's what we're looking to make sure we offer is that you know you need to subscribe to the access newsletters to do your job because if you're not in your uh, competitor is then you're chasing information and nobody in the deal making community wants to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, um, in the, the world has changed, um, even from the time you and I graduated and, and sort of have gotten into this world so much. I, I, um, I've heard tell of that. Yes. A thousand times over, even in the last year and a half, the world has changed. I mean, I, I would never have dreamed to have a podcast, but here I am. Um, I'm, I'm curious though, in terms of pitches, um, do your folks, I mean, the, 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 the pro side is really new and you guys are just getting started and getting smart about what's coming through, but I have to believe with folks that are that well sourced, they probably have a remarkable amount of resources in terms of getting pitches and hearing stories too. Are there specific kinds of stories that you'll, you guys will be on the lookout for, um, the kinds of things that I'm certainly new and first I would imagine, but anything else that sort of stands out to you as, as a trend that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, new and first is of huge import to us. And in addition, you know, we are um, open to ideas for broader trend pieces that are very relevant to the areas we're covering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to be able to get in touch with people when we're filling out, you know, for instance, on our health tech newsletter recently, there's been an avalanche of deal activity in the behavioral health space. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as an, it, it's a fallout of the pandemic, you know, more people at home, you know, that the, the work from home isolation exacerbates um, behavioral health concerns and, and any issues that people might have. Right. Um, there's a bunch of opportunities and, and I think it's going to be long-term fantastic for our society um, of people trying to, deliver these services by a telehealth or other right. things. So yeah. Even if they are isolated, can't get there, they can still speak to a therapist. Right. So like, that's the sort of thing that I would say, like pay attention, a successful pitch will know what's going on in the industry and come to us and say, as you reporting on this, you know, I have an expert who could speak to this. Awesome. And, and we do also track deals um, zealously. So, you know, we will also include, um, any deal activity is relevant for us to know about because we want to make sure that our audience knows that it's part of um, the the DNA of the pro newsletters is making sure that when you read it, um, the bottom half is you know a recap of the deal of the deals of that day. Right. Venture capital, private equity, M and A, totally. and personnel ones particularly. Right. Awesome. Good. Well, I, I've got a lot of uh, colleagues and a lot of clients who uh, will have all of those all of those resources. So I'll be calling you back. Um, Excellent. So as we, so, you know, so the newsroom is, you know, never closed. It's 24 seven, all the time, busy, busy. But uh, what, uh, what kinds of things are keeping you busy outside of the the workplace, George? Do you have any 
favorite book recommendations, any, any, uh, shows or movies that are keeping you busy? What other kinds of cool things are you doing in your spare time? So I read religiously. My kids make so much fun of me because we go into bookstores and I go to the historical biography section, um, because I have a goal of reading biographies of every president. Uh huh. Um, I got very excited recently because I found one about James Monroe <laughs> and they just looked at me and shook their head. Um, <laughs> Isn't that, that, that's have, the job of our children, right? To keep us honest exactly. and make fun of us. <laughs> I, I, I give them plenty of fodder. And then um, I also, I have four children between 21 and 14. So we're busy generally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and have been for some time. <laughs> um, and uh, a great charity that I do and something I've done with my son is the St. Baldrick's organization. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a charity that started right around 2001. They raise money for childhood cancer research. I am, and I um, saw that this was a priority for you. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about it. This is our 10th year. Um, you know, ironically enough, I have not had a full head of hair for quite some time, um, but I still get people am able to raise funds with my son's very full head of hair. And, you know, he started this when he was nine years old and, and shared it with us. And um, we, my wife's oldest sister died of leukemia. So there was a natural connection to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my son saw a kid at school who had had, who had done this when he was in fourth grade, and he said, hey, I want to do this. We we're like, okay, you're nine. We'll see if you really mean it. And he came back and said, no, I really want to do this. And that's how it began. And it's a, a fantastic program uh nationwide and you know the place we do it with each year um raises hundreds of thousands of dollars each year and what st baldrick's does is they just they make grants specifically to researchers who are providing cures and they provide a really um great breakdown of their expenses um making sure that as much money as possible goes to those um organizations and it's just uh something that's been great to do as a dad with your son yes um but yeah. also just such an important um, well, great cause area. Yeah. For, for great, great, great cause for research and, and charity. Yes. Uh, I had seen that that was a priority for you before we jumped on the call. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a really good one. And one that, um, that I'll, I'll make sure that I link to. And so folks can be familiar with that as well. As we get to Thank the you. end of our conversation, George, I'm curious, is there someone in the media space, someone that you've worked with, someone you might recommend for a future episode of the podcast? Gosh, that's a good question. You know, for me, having been on the business side, I really like the people who are skeptical mm-hmm. um, about uh, both PR pitches. I know I'm saying that to your audience, but I'm saying it's it for okay. purpose. It's okay. We know um, it. Listen, we've been at this for a while. We feel it. <laughs> and But but also do their homework. And, and um, Herb Greenberg, I mentioned him. I worked with him at thestreet.com, and he taught me a great deal. Um, he's with Empire Research now. And he's uh, just very smart, really can speak to the evolution of the um, industry. And he, I think he would just provide great perspective. He's done it all uh, super smart and, and has spent enough time on TV that he's a good guest too. Awesome. Well, I'm going to tell him that you nominated him. And I'm just so, so glad for your time today, George. Thank you so much for being with me. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure, Lisa. Anything else I can do in the future, don't hesitate to give me a shout. Fantastic. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast. 
a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.